Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul or nothing, all of the time. As always, this is presented in widescreen podcasting. This is widescreen podcasting. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles. Thank you all for listening in. I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Today, here today, today here, it seems like old times as we're going to continue our second journey through the discography of Paul McCartney. Of course, you've all read the title, you all know what I'm referring to. It is time for another episode of Listen With Sam, the side series where we chill out together and skirt the dangerous laws of copyright infringement as we listen to another Paul McCartney album. You know, whilst I obnoxiously talk over the top of it, this should be a pretty familiar format to most of you by now. But for anyone new, this is where you and me get to kick back and listen to a Paul McCartney LP in full, whilst I add my patented brand of hopefully relevant commentary. The main point of the series is that it allows me to revisit each of these albums with a new, fresh perspective, and with the added knowledge that I've hopefully gained between now and the original episode. Compared to regular Paul or nothing, these ones are largely unscripted, bar a few bullet points, and you get the quote-unquote pleasure of hearing my genuine life reactions to the music. This time around, we're going to be revisiting one of my all-time favourites, not only of Paul's, but of all time. Yes, we're going to be looking at the second solo McCartney record, the aptly titled McCartney 2. It was the album that said goodbye to Wings and kicked off the solo career that brings us right up to the modern day. Speaking of which, since we did our last deep dive on McCartney 2, we've actually seen the release of McCartney 3, so who knows what tenuous connections I can make between those. Though McCartney 2 was never meant to be a proper album release, it was more of a series of musical experiments for Paul, although it did end up almost accidentally predicting the entire sound, scope and musical production technique slash style that would come to define the decade of the 80s as a whole. Like I said, this is one of my go-to GOAT albums. It's one of the first albums of the McCartney discography that really resonated with me, and I honestly would put it up there with Ram, Band on the Run, Venus and Mars, Flaming Pie, in terms of how consistent and strong it is. Also, I actually listen to it quite often outside of the show, so this episode is really going to be second nature to me, I guess. So yeah, let's not waste any more time and crack on with the... Housekeeping! Starting off, what do we have in terms of news for today? Well, of course, the Got Back Tour is carrying on, Paul McCartney's latest tour, American tour, I should say. At the time of recording, he's so far played in uh, Spokane once, twice in Seattle, and once in Oakland. There's loads of footage from these shows, and I do recommend you check them out, as it's maddening how strong the show still is, and how fresh, or freshened up, you might say, it feels. In terms of the set list, Paul did promise us a few surprises, Though I was kind of hoping for a few more than what we got, with only one new song proper being added to the standard proceedings in the form of McCartney 3's Women and Wives, which is ironic because that's my least favourite song from that album. Well done, Paul. We also have the addition of 
Getting Better, which has been played since the Back in the US tour back in 2004, but that really is a paltry selection of newbies if there ever was one. Look, I know it's Paul, I know the set list is pretty immovable, but like Barry Wong, I'm living in hope of some crazy and drastic changes, even though I'm very well aware that that will never happen. Though there was one addition that was technically a quote-unquote surprise. So Paul played, I've got a feeling, which he did on the last tour and isn't a surprise to anyone, but he actually did it utilising the recent Peter Jackson, Disney Plus's The Beatles Get Back documentary footage and audio to allow him to perform a duet with John Lennon from beyond the grave. Basically, when it's John's turn to sing his part, Paul steps away from the mic and the footage of John from the rooftop concert plays and he sings his own part in glorious surround sound through the big McCartney speakers. It's actually pretty cool for what it's worth. It's actually done the rounds on social media and even in a few news outlets. I think a lot of people were pretty darn pleased by this. I think a lot of people were vibing with it. It's a bit gimmicky, though it does at least do something new with at least one of the songs on the set list. I feel like I'm going to be a little more cynical with this tour now that I have seen Paul, you know, a whole once, in <laughs> which I'm sure compared to the most of you is actually nothing, but, you know, it's Paul. At least he's trying to do something fun with the material that he's got. Maybe he might do it more with other songs, who knows, but hey, that's the big surprise from the Got Back Tour. Also, as a side note, friend of the show Andrew Dixon on his channel, which I do recommend you check out, pointed out that in the tour booklet for the Got Back Tour, there is a small section on the Archive re-release series, the McCartney Archive series. And after talking about the re Archive release for a few paragraphs, at the very bottom it says, keep an eye out for a new release or slash releases which is pretty crazy. Does that mean we are getting London Town back to the egg box set? Does that mean we're getting off the ground? Maybe both in one year? Fuck, that'd be quite mad, wouldn't it? But yeah, folks, keep your ear to the ground. There is new McCartney archive stuff coming out relatively soon. And that is the news, I think. I haven't seen anything else this week, so we'll crack right on with the plugs. To get in contact with the show, drop us an email at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. I love reading out any and all correspondence at all. I love getting a dialogue going. Whether you just want to say hi or completely rip the show apart, maybe even talk about your recent visit to one of the Paul McCartney Got Back shows, drop us an email. Our first one today is a quick one from a fellow called Ben that I just had to read out. It says, Hi Sam, hope this finds you well. I love the podcast, but I can't help but say in my head during the intro, the place to get all of your Paul or nothing, instead of the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Can we start a petition to change the intro? <laughs> we sure can, Ben, we sure can. Thank you so much for that email there. And if you go back to the start of this episode, you will hear that I did just that, just for you. Not sure if it's officially going to replace the original intro, as saying that is a real part of my muscle memory. But hey, let's see what the rest of our 12 listeners think. If anyone else chimes in, maybe I could be persuaded. Our next email is from one of my longest-term Patreon patrons and occasional early access editor, 
Teresa Breda. I'm always happy to hear from her in any form. And she says, Hi Sam, I just this second finished listening to your Rupert episode. Denny is playing us out as I type, and I had to delay my bedtime to tell you just how much I enjoyed it. As an American, my knowledge of Rupert was minimal, and the only Rupert song I'd heard previously was We All Stand Together. Yes, I also used to be confused as to why it was a chorus of frogs when Rupert was a bear. I wasn't sure how much interest I'd have in the episode, but I'm delighted to say that it, and you, and the music are an absolute delight. What a treasure trove our Paul and your podcast are. Thanks for all you do, Sam. Teresa. P.S. Tippy Tippy Toes is adorable. I was reminded of the music that five-year-old ballerinas might warm up to at the start of a dance class. At least, that's the image that came to my mind. Cheers there, Teresa. Great to hear from you, as always. And thank you for your kind words on the Rupert episode. Uh, I'm so glad you enjoyed it, because not only was it a real bitch to put together, what with uh, noise and construction and neighbours and dogs, my gosh, it was difficult, but also because I'm just really proud of it. It's a topic that I haven't heard be done properly before in the podcasting form, and I really wanted to create a high standard if anyone else ever wanted to do it again. You know, we covered all the backstory and the album in one episode, in one sitting. Yeah, it would it would have been maybe a little more interesting if I had a guest to discuss the music with, but I really wanted to give my own authorial stamp on the material. I, I hope I did that. I hope others out there enjoyed it. And if you haven't listened, folks, maybe take Teresa's recommendation and go check it out yourself. Thank you for your constant patronage, Teresa, as always, as well. Peace and love, peace and love. Now, our next email is from one Phil Bott, who emailed us like in 2020, like mid-pandemic. Yes, I do check out when people have emailed last in. I will check it on all of you. And he says, Greetings, Sam. The Paul is Live episode was very entertaining. I'd never heard the album until my good lady bought me the vinyl reissue last year. I agree that Biker Like an Icon is superb. The band is banging and takes the whole song up a notch from the album. In fact, the only songs worth having it for are the off the ground tracks. It reinforces my contention that the only essential McCartney live albums are Wings Over Europe 72, Wings Over America and Unplugged. What a shame that the latter didn't have a version of Wildlife on it, which they were rumoured to have rehearsed but it has a charm and an interesting song selection as a standalone. The point is that Wings were put together to be a live band and live versions of their songs are invariably beefier than the records with an extra dose of energy, so the recorded versions add something new to what was put down in the studio. That is why we need a release of Last Flight in Glasgow, because the versions of I've Had Enough, Cook of the House and Band on the Run are all arguably superior to the records or at least they rock harder. The Beatles became a studio band as they entered their most musically adventurous period. The the records are perfect. I understand Paul wanting to play these songs, I do, but there seems little point to me in putting them on a live album. No matter how well executed they're performed, they'll inevitably be inferior to what we've lived with our whole lives. So, my ideal Macca set list will always be solo-centric. Have a good day, my man, Phil. 
Hey Phil, long time no speak. Thank you for sending in another email there. There's quite a lot to unpack there. First of all, I always appreciate some biker like an icon fandom. There needs to be more of us. There are dozens of us. Dozens! <laughs> and I do agree with you actually. I don't think I said this in the episode, but the only real reason I would ever take any songs off Paul is Live and put them onto a playlist would be to listen to the off the ground material. That is the better stuff. Uh, I did like Michelle actually. There were, there were a couple ones that are pretty good, but yeah, the off the ground material is probably the most sought after content on that album not only because it's a nice contrast but also just because off the ground's really underrated as well and oh my god could you imagine if they'd have done wildlife during unplugged that would have been insane you are right i do reckon if they are going to be doing though a back to the egg archive re-release this year that at least a few of the versions of songs from last flight in glasgow could be included maybe a whole disc I'm not sure, though if I had to choose between getting a Rupert disc and a Last Flight disc, I am going to lean more towards Rupert. Also, I do agree with you, it would be so titanically awesome if Paul did a solo-centric set list. I mean, even if it was more like, say, Wings Over America, where less than a quarter of the content was Beatles stuff, I'd be totally fine with that as well, but... You know, this is post-anthology, it's post-Flaming Pie, he's fully adopted the Beatle persona now. Those songs obviously go down the best with crowds. He's never not going to do Hey Jude, for example, but could you imagine if more than 50% of the set list, unlike the Got Back tour that he's doing right now, was solo stuff? I still think people would go see him. Though he'd probably have to advertise it in a different way and let people know that this is for the solo fans, not the Beatles casuals. I'm not sure if that would mean he'd have to play smaller venues. I don't know, but hey, as I mentioned, we're all living in hope. Thank you so much for that email there, Phil. Make sure you check in in the next two years. Can't wait to hear what you think of the next live album that I absolutely trash. Peace and love again. Anyway, on with the rest of the plugs. Follow us on our Twitter for everyday updates at McCartneyPod. For bonus Paul or nothing written content, check out paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by typing in Paul or nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Of course, YouTube is the only place where you can get new episodes of Macca in your attic. And by the time this episode is out or at the latest the day after you will get to see the latest episode of Macca in your attic where I am I'm joined by TJ from the untitled Beatles podcast which is me meeting one of my all-time favorite podcasters there's lots of digressions there's lots of general Beatles and McCartney and vinyl chit chat there's some incredible items and he even plays the piano a couple of times yeah, I think you're really going to enjoy that one, folks. I know I certainly did. You can check that out on our YouTube page by typing in Paul or nothing or Mac it in your attic. And now, if you want to help out the show in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, then maybe you could leave us some sort of review on whatever platform you are listening to this on, whether it's a like, a thumbs up, a tick, some stars, or even 
kindly worded comment. It's all very much appreciated. It boosts us up in those impossible to gauge algorithms and gets us that exposure that we need to expand the McCartney family. And finally, if you want to help the show out directly, if you want to help keep the lights running or allow me to keep buying new product to review or get new equipment, allow me to take time away from work to keep working on the show, or maybe you just like all the hard work I put into this podcast and you just want to chuck a couple of dollars down the internet at my face every month as a sign of appreciation, then hey, why not check out my Patreon, our Patreon page, the poor little thing, Patreon page. And it's not just a gimme, you do get your money's worth, folks. You get two days early access to all episodes of Paul or Nothing. You get instant access to all episodes of Macca in your attic, always at least one week in advance. You get instant access to the Paul or Nothing video feed. So any interview that I conduct over Zoom, possibly Skype in the future, will go instantly on there. You can see episodes unedited, sometimes weeks in advance, maybe even months in the case of some episodes, and you also get the wonderful pleasure of having it on video, where you get the pleasure of seeing my wonderful made-for-radio face. You also get access to all the scripts I use for Paul or Nothing, as well as bonus episodes, lost episodes, unreleased episodes. And finally, there is the weekly vlog series exclusive for patrons. Episode 9 is out now, where I go through my non-McCartney, non-Beatles record collection. It was meant to be a quick half-hour one, ended up being about an hour and 40 minutes. I just can't not talk about Tom Waits and Kanye West and Weird Al, as you all know. I do want to give a quick shout out right now to our latest patron named Boz76. I'm sure that that's the name on their birth certificate. Thank you so much for contributing to the show. As I always say, it is incredibly touching that anyone would want to give anything to the show. It's incredibly touching. It helps me get out of bed every morning and keep working on this show. You know, I would do it regardless, but. You know, if there's ever a moment of doubt or I'm a bit lax or a bit tired and I just quickly log on to the Patreon, take a look at all the likes and the comments and see who's signed up and instantly I'm reinvigorated and ready to give more exciting Paul or nothing content. Yeah, thank you so much, Boz76. I hope you are enjoying all of the content or the bonus content as well. And of course, we cannot start the episode without giving a shout out to the rest of the Patreon family, people including Jeff H, David Staberski, Mitzi Carter, Andy Cochran, Guy Jenkinson, Nancy Twoey, Richard Campbell, Christopher Newman, Mrs. P, Roderick Harper, Moji Ryber, Robert Shuley, Richard Driver, Chris Atkinson, Richard Biddington, Mr. B, Teresa Brader, who we heard from earlier, Stephanie Miller, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Lou DiLonardo, Robert A. Carabelli, Warren Butson, Sharon McCoy, Matt Phillips, and of course, Mr. Percy Thrillington himself. Anyway, now that all of that housekeeping is out of the way, it is time for us to go to our record collection, pick out our copies of McCartney 2. I recommend you all have some sort of vice to imbibe during this time, as it's going to be a pretty fun, trippy experience sober. So yeah, let's just dive right in. Of course, now we need to put ourselves in the mindset of the McCartney fandom of 1979-80. Your favourite band, you know, Wings are either broken up or they're teetering on the precipice of breaking up. 
back to the egg wasn't the smash success commercially that everyone would have wanted it to be, though you yourself probably enjoyed it and you definitely enjoyed the singles. So there's probably high expectations for a second solo McCartney album, especially considering how dear McCartney 1 is to the fandom. You know, you've picked up the cover, you've seen Paul's cheeky face on it, you've probably even heard the single, the opening song, coming up. You probably like that a lot as well. And you're probably hoping for something quite conventional and straightforward, but, well, not to spoil anything, folks, but we know that's not going to happen, is it? Right, I have readied my quote-unquote wink-wink vinyl copy of McCartney 2. I'm syncing it up right now. I hope you are too. And so, let's just begin. And starting off, we have what is quite unambiguously one of the greatest McCartney songs ever written. This is coming up. And right away, folks, I am filled with immeasurable excitement and joy thanks to this song. I've never quite sat down and ranked all of my favourite McCartney songs. I did recently do singles on a vlog. But anyway, if I did, this song would have a very reserved parking space in my top 20, maybe even my top 10, as there are very few McCartney songs that have consistently made me feel as feel good as this song routinely does. Yeah, I did spend quite a bit of the last Hot Hits and Cold Cuts episode shitting all over the Live Wings version of this song, but surely now, with you listening to this song, you can understand why that was the case. Surely you must be able to hear how much more creative, playful, whimsical, and just straight-up fun this version is, this album version is, compared to the lolloping Chuggalog Live Wings one. I mean... If you can't, more power to you. But as far as this self-aggrandizing podcaster is concerned, this is the clear superior product. Oh, oh those scenes. Come on, this is just so fun and silly, isn't it? Like, it's always interesting when Paul doesn't take himself too seriously and yet is able to come out with a song that is, you know... Uh, melodically resplendent and classic and well put together and well produced as some of his more classic and serious ballads and you know as much as we regularly talk about the synths in this song which I will do in a moment I just want to give a, a huge shout out to Paul's electric guitar playing here that exuberant frenetic way he strums in this song is a key part of why it is so stirring as a piece of music. It's very talking heads, and that fact is not lost on me at all. I also love the way the guitar sounds like it's coming through an old, like, croaky gramophone speaker or something like that. Of course, right, right now we're listening to the wet and squelchy synth production sound of this album. Very wonderful Christmas time. And, like, what, whatever, you know, box of stock sounds he's using it, it's very distinctive it's very McCartney-esque and like I don't know, there's think about this song where it just it doesn't really feel like that much of a giant leap, you know this 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 is almost like London Town-esque kind of stuff it does make sense that this would be the first song on this album as it is one of the least, I guess challenging songs in that sense, you know He's not trying to completely blow our minds with something like the next song. This is a, still a pretty familiar and comforting and McCartney-esque pop song. 
the lyrics aren't the strongest ever. They, they, they are just kind of there to serve the song with that very fun chorus with those excellent high-pitched shrill Linda backing vocals, which are, again, such a part of why I love this track so much. But yeah, what is coming up? It's 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 a bit vague and a bit unanswered. Uh, the you know the verses and the chorus are kind of disjointed in a certain way. You know it is all just about that incredible chorus and what a chorus it is. Yeah, folks, come on, this is this is coming up. He plays it live a lot. I wish he'd play it more. It's an excellent one. And next up we have, well, it's the theme song of the motherfucking show, isn't it? This is Temporary Secretary, and oh my god, I love how the acoustic guitar there is almost like the bass of the song, you know, like the way it punctuates it like that. Like, only Paul would be able to have a ridiculous synthy backing track like this, and then decide to mix it with acoustic guitar. Like, how fucking cool is that? And let's just talk about that, this, this, this synth sequence, by the way. I understand why people would find it to be one of the most annoying things of all time, because it is not conventional, not conventionally McCartney, not co- not any conventional pop at the time either. It is quite daring and in your face, and it, it's Paul kind of proudly declaring that this is the sound of this album. You know, he's really dropping us in the deep end here, and I really enjoy that. This is a brave song, it's Paul taking a risk. And, you know, being that it's a risk that Paul took, of course it ends up being one of the most divisive songs in the entire fandom. And it is that divisiveness and that kind of acerbic, sharp divide that made me decide to use it as the theme song for the show. I remember when I was doing uh, door-to-door charity work and I was talking to my friend Tom about what I was going to use. And he just said, you could just use Temporary Secretary. And it was one of those light bulb moments where, yeah, I realised it could be no other way. I love this little breakdown as well. It gets a little more dark and it reflects the, the seedier nature of the song a little more accurately. Like, I mean, this 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 song is basically just about a pervy job creator, like boss kind of person, you know. He only needs a temporary secretary because he's only going to need her for a short while in terms of what he actually wants with her. Like, it's actually one of the more subversively dark and perverted McCartney narratives out there. Again, really cool. That's really interesting and different. And I love how it contrasts with the very upbeat, light-hearted nature of the song. Under back. And, and then, <laughs> speaking of gramophones, he does it again here. Well, I know how hard it is for young girls these days. Like, it's almost like a little bit like a rap there. He's, he's, this song is so creative. It's delightfully all over the place. Like, Paul is just riffing it out here. You know that he did not know that this part of the song was going to be here when he first started composing it. You know that this was just him working out this fun little sequence, and then he just starts building all these layers. And this is what came out on the other end. And it's the most mad thing he's ever released, really, isn't it? You know, you can literally hear, like, hooting and hollering in the background. It's pure mad Professor McCartney, and I fucking love it. It's so good. If you don't love this, folks, listen to it again after this. 
And then we come to one of the weirder parts of McCartney 2 now. And it, it, it's weird in how not weird it is, I guess. Like, my immediate thoughts now are Flaming Pie. And this is kind of like an analogue of the weird jammy tracks that we get on Flaming Pie, where it doesn't really sound like it's part of those sessions, and yet you really couldn't take it out of the album because it just wouldn't work anymore. This is Paul giving us a bit of respite from the onslaught that we've just had with the last two songs. You know, this is him returning to something very McCartney 1-esque now that I think about it. Like, like the production style's different, but this is very much just something like Ooh You, where it's just him and a few real normal non-synthesized instruments creating a very moody atmospheric track on his own with a bit of piercing guitar like ah oh, he's just getting to hear him on lead is always a joy i love the vocals on this one it's such a massive part of why the song works as well as it does it's like the only mccartney 2-esque element on the whole song with that that delay, that echo, it just adds so much mysterious, beguiling, you know, drama to the whole song. I love the uh, the drum sound as well. is It's really, really cool. It's him on the ride a lot, which he rarely ever does. So smooth and just hypnotic. And then, oh no, it doesn't come in yet. That's it. That's the McCartney one sound. That guitar tone is just beautiful, isn't it? Oh my golly gosh. Go on, Paul. How has he never done this one live? You know, getting Rusty and Brian in on this. Oh, they would do it such justice. Oh my God, it'd be absolutely fantastic now that I think about it. It's so strained, it's like wailing. There's so much emotion in that solo. Like, of course, this isn't like a highlight of the album or anything, but it's definitely just one of those really competent, very, very fun album filler, quote-unquote, tracks that, you know, you don't really listen to it outside of the context of the wider album, but when you're putting it on and you're listening to it in order, it's such a part of the experience. It's, it's an incredible palate cleanser. It reminds us of an older Paul whilst we've got this newer, stranger McCartney. It's got those great, almost improvised lyrics where it's Paul just kind of kicking back and letting the music do all the talking and the emoting for him. And, that, and that's fine, you know, it, 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 it works. Though, I've got to say, I do like that line, I hope you don't mind the things I say on the way it's one of those McCartney you know they're all love songs about Linda at the end of the day aren't they but it's one of those kind of imperfect ones where he had, you know he's kind of admitting to having a little bit of a flaw which is quite interesting actually oh I haven't talked about the bass on this song either oh yeah it's so melodic pure Paul and yeah now we come to probably the low point of the album at least for me, like, I probably do enjoy bogey music more than this. This, of course, is Waterfalls. And this is a song that is, I know it's really trying hard to be a McCartney 2 produced emotional ballad. And 
you know, production-wise, I think the song works incredibly well, which is funny because it's actually the production that McCartney wants to go back and change. Like, he's spoken a lot about how he wished he could go back and alter this song whenever he's asked, like, you know, is there a song you don't like in your in your back catalogue? But for me, the production is, is so on point. It's really modern, as Rick Rubin pointed out in McCartney 3 to 1. You know, it's it, it's very new wave. The synth work is very deft. And again, the atmosphere is so thick and tangible. And, you know, again, it does a lot of the emoting for you. Oh, my God. We've just got to quickly talk about these solos as well. I mean, I, I never normally like solos that are just the main vocal melody. But this is just so cutesy and fun. It's really hard not to enjoy. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. But yeah, folks, this the music is great, and I'm not going to take any of that away from Paul, but these lyrics, fucking hell. Like, when people say that Paul is a great melodicist and musician and instrumentalist, but his lyrics need work, this is one of the songs that immediately springs to mind for me. Like a, like a castle needs a tower, like a garden needs a flower. Okay, first of all, I really don't like songs where people just say like a this like a that you know as my english teacher once said always go for a metaphor rather than a simile similes are quite lazy in the overall spectrum of writing you know they are it, it, it's just it's just a bit lame like it, 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 even the image the imagery here like don't go chasing polar bears what are you on about paul what a big friendly polar bear might want to take you home. Like, is that meant to be some reference to, like, child kidnappers or pedophiles or something? Like, it's so weird. Like, okay, I like the idea of, like, the hook being I need love. Like, a second needs an hour. Like, a raindrop needs a shower. That one doesn't even make sense for a start. But, yeah, similes suck. They're lazy. They're boring. They're trite, especially for Paul. Again, I hate the phrase, this sounds like it was written in his sleep, but this is at least Paul dozing off and relaxing way too much. And there's just a, a real lack of creativity here. Here we go. Don't run after motor cars. Okay, like maybe this one could be a reference to to John, perhaps, because obviously John's mom was killed by a car. But... <laughs> You know, the melody and the instrumentation here, the, 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 those beautiful, atypical, uh, off-kilter synths are doing all the legwork, they're doing all the heavy lifting here. That's where all the resonance comes from. And, like, you know, Paul, Paul, Paul sings it well, it's put through an interesting filter like most of the vocals do on this album, but... This one just really feels like it's trying far too hard to be a song that it's not. I know McCartney was just kind of chilling out and kicking back and experimenting with this album, but I feel like this is... It's almost like the junk of this album, in which like the melody is so perfect and classic and timeless, and yet the song really doesn't go anywhere lyrically or do anything or wrap itself up. The story's kind of flaccid, and the imagery's just a bit redundant like the only thing that's interesting about this song is that you know he actually has a property called waterfalls and there's a bit of a 
fun double entendre there. Oh, and, oh, and this ending so languid. It's like, come on, Paul, can we can we wrap this thing up now? And I've no idea how this ever made its way into being a single. That's just absolutely insane to me. Though, thank God it was, because at least we got Check My Machine, a far superior song as the B-side. And then we come to Nobody Knows, another of these weird kind of jammy, rocky tracks on this album. I know that this one was inspired by a BBC programme, um, Alexis Corner was his name, and he was doing like a series on the blues, I believe, and McCartney wanted to kind of ape that. It's funny, I actually brought up Flaming Pie earlier and kind of said that, that, that these rock tracks were the kind of jammy ones from Flaming Pie because obviously this is a blues track and Paul uh, <laughs> claimed to have not really played the blues all that much and that's why he did them with Steve Miller in the first place. But I'm sure if Steve Miller heard this, he would not consider this to be particularly bluesy. Um, Again, we've got some real frenetic electric guitar playing. I'm not saying it's like on the level of RAM or anything like that, but the amount of energy and raw emotion Paul is conveying through his guitar playing on this album is a really underrated aspect of it, and it's incredibly interesting. Again, you know, rather like on the way, this is a little bit of a throwaway, but you know, that's just because the rest of Makai 2 is just so damn interesting. You know, this is still a very competent, very fun, uh, rather little classic bit of McCartney album filler. Um, rather in, 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 interestingly, though, like I was at my pub a few months ago and they just put on random playlists that we have no control over. It's all done at head office in Beijing. And randomly, Nobody Knows came on and I was so excited. I was so happy. Like Everyone was like, Sam, what's up with you? I was like, it's a Paul McCartney song. Yeah, uh, I was I was definitely in high spirits when that was going on. Come on, this is just a. F- I can't I can't be too harsh towards towards this one. It puts a big old goofy smile on my face. Bow, bow. You know, just just just, just those punctuations. Those, those punches are so strong, and you know, it's it, it's one of his great silly vocals as, as as well. Again, this is him having a lot of fun, and us having a lot of fun. By proxy, the the hook of nobody knows is incredibly catchy. You know, it, 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 it's all part of the craziness that is McCartney too. And it, you know, if the rest of the album is that weird, then of course these rockers are going to be still be a little bit, you know, <laughs> of a curveball in terms of his general rock thrump. And you know, <laughs> oh come on, that ending there. Uh, down, down, bow, 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 bow. Come on, that was a, that was a whole load of fun. Haven't got much more to say than that. Great track. And there we are, folks. We are at the end of side one of McCartney Two. This is a very short album. Don't forget, this is only about thirty-eight minutes long. It feels much longer, but not in a bad way that it's dragging or anything. It's just that. It's packed with classics. And now, as we are flipping from side A to side B, let's just take a quick moment to reflect. How would people in 1980 be reacting to that side? (laughs) I know that strong opinions will certainly have been had. If you were, say, more of a Wings fan and you came in at that point, or possibly even a regular Beatles fan as well, you might be a little bit shocked, a little bit perplexed. You might be wondering... 
what the hell Paul is smoking, though. I think we all know. And, yeah, I think it might be obvious for a lot of people that this was not a proper uh, studied, learned studio affair. But if you're just a fan of Paul in general and all of his peculiarities and eccentricities, then you're probably going to have really been enjoying this part of the album. You know, it's full of melody. It's full of hooks, catchy little lyrics. It's got very memorable, very out there production and riffs. Though it's not totally alien, you've still got On The Way and Nobody Knows being thrown in there rather purposefully, I imagine, to kind of ground the whole thing and still give it a semblance of normality. Maybe the ballad fans would have enjoyed Waterfalls, I'm not so sure. Uh, Though probably at the time more people would have probably been anti-temporary secretary than Waterfalls. But, you know, come on. Starting off with Coming Up, I don't think anyone will have been too cynical about this album so far. You know, it starts off incredibly sure-footed, and I think whether people were vibing with this side completely or whether they were a little bit sceptical, they still would have been curious and excited to see what lay on side two. And yeah, there is certainly a lot of interesting stuff going on with the B material as well. So everyone, we come on to side two of McCartney 2 with Front Parlour. Of course, this is the song who takes the title from the fact that this was probably recorded in McCartney's actual front parlour. It was the first thing he did on the album and it's actually quite shocking that this is the first thing recorded for the album because it really is emblematic of McCartney 2 as a whole. Like McCartney really was able to predict the entire sound of the album in one succinct 3 minute 34 chunk. Um, This isn't my favourite of the two instrumentals on this album my favorite is the one that's coming up in two songs time but this is still a classic McCartney bit of meandering whimsy you might say you know this definitely has a very laid-back very chilled out incredibly directionless charm to it you know it might sound like I'm being negative towards the song there but it's that exact you know relaxed non-stressed out atmosphere that makes it so appealing to me in the first place this is definitely a song that really just feel like this is just Paul working out melody, working out a few notes that he has in his head just seeing where it goes rather than having a direct end goal in mind and I think that's part of the experimentation of McCartney too, you know this isn't meant to be a final album, this isn't meant to be something he's even intending on putting out and so he's free to just come up with unique little tableaus like this it, it, it almost feels a bit Rupert the Bear-esque actually like I could totally picture this being uh, a part of the Rupert the Bear soundtrack maybe a bit too techno-y in, in its production but the melody certainly feels like something Rupert could stroll down through Nutwood to definitely I, I always feel like this one is a reflection of the Scottish environment that he's surrounded in. like it's, it's weird to think that this and Ram were both created on the same Scottish farmstead, or at least written there. And to me, this kind of has that heart of the country, rolling hills vibe to it. You know, it, it, to be fair, speaking of green hills, 
could be almost like a video game score, you know? Like like the opening level to a, a very inoffensive, very charming video game like Sonic or Mario or Spyro the Dragon or something like that. You know, it's a shame that Hope for the Future wasn't something a little more like this. Yeah, Front Part is definitely one of the songs that really speaks to how ingenious and memorable and melodic and just so endearing that even the the minor tracks on McCartney 2 are like if there was a whole album of this I, I really wouldn't mind I don't mean it in the sense of something like Strawberry's Ocean Ships Forest where we'd have a whole album of variations of this song but if we had a whole album of kind of semi-throwaway, carefree McCartney synth instrumentals. I would be f- totally fine with that. Also, just going to give a quick shout-out to that to that drum sound here. I love that. I love that, that kind of echo snare. It's really, really fun. It's really cool. Then we come to one of the ballads of this album, and this is Summer's Day Song, and immediately, in contrast to waterfalls this one is so effective it's so well done it's so adorable and just so it's so sweet tomorrow yeah this one for me has always been one of McCartney's best kind of bedtime lullaby kind of tracks it is very classical compared to a lot of the stuff on McCartney 2, but it also feels very classically McCartney as well. Like, I'm surprised that this one didn't get a remake on Working Classical, to be fair. Like, this is one of those songs that could literally appear in any McCartney album, really. Like, yeah, we've, we've, we've got that fake synthetic orchestra going on there. But, you know, if this was slightly produced differently or remixed, it could easily go into any of his albums. And I mean that in a good way. It is just so entirely pure McCartney. And I think that's why it's so effective. The melody, though, here, it, it's so instantly emotional and evokes all of his best ballads. You know, it's just instantly so resonant with the listener you know, you can always see the music video in your head coming to life. Also, just the vocal is is way stronger than, than Waterfalls. You know, this is Paul doing his best syrupy, sappy, saccharine kind of vocal, and it's done so well. Also, this is another one of those McCartney songs with very few lyrics, and the lyrics that we do get are just so affecting. You know, it's almost something like... I want you she so heavy or something like that. You know, it's just someone sleeping through a bad dream. Tomorrow it will be over for the world. will be soon be waking to a summer's day. Like, again, I say this with a lot of songs, but that's some of the most McCartney-esque lyricism ever. You know, the idea that everything will be fine tomorrow and the sun will be there for us tomorrow. Come on. It's, it, it, it's, it's typical Paul. Oh, and these double track vocals as well. Oh, it really tugs at the heartstrings, doesn't it? Oh, it's so fucking good, this album. Sorry, folks, I'm going to be saying that a lot on this episode, but this is just excellent stuff. To a summer's day 
even the backing vocals that that, that he does there, like it, they almost sound quite Beatles-esque as I'm listening to them right now. You know, it almost sounds like something that he would have done with the Beatles. To be fair, if they had got together in the in the in the eighties, it definitely feels very Abbey Road medley-esque. You know what I mean? Oh my God. This one's so beautiful. Great stuff, Paul. Great stuff. Then we come to Frozen Japanese, as I'm going to call it. I'm not going to call it by its original title. Um, let's just have a look at this Paul uh, quote here. Because it's always made, made me kind of go, what? It was a recording in the summer of 1979, and originally I was working around on synths, again experimenting, and I suddenly got something which sounded very oriental, which this track does. Um, you know, it definitely has shades of old Siamsa in it. When the track was finished, it seemed so oriental to me that I thought, it better have a really lyrical title. I tried to think of a suitable title, and things came to my mind like, crystalline icicles overhang the little cabin by that ice-capped mountain Fuji or Snow Scene in the Orient. And, <laughs> I mean, fucking hell, Paul, that title would not have worked for this here. Like, yeah, I totally get that this song evokes a, a kind of a cold mountain-esque oriental kind of image, but that title might be one of the worst things you've ever come up with. But yeah, of course, we, we can't talk about this song without mentioning how kind of uh, horrendously problematic and outdated the title is. It, it, it is called Frozen Japanese for the releases in Japan, which is good. I still can't believe that it's not called that over here and in America. Very strange. Though, it's funny that, like, I'll put it up again, uh, Shrubbery's Ocean Ships Forest, that crystalline is, is like a, a phrase that appears in the titles of those songs as well. Maybe Paul had more of a hand in with those titles than uh, youth would have us believe, but onto the good points of this song, folks. This is probably one of my favorite McCartney instrumentals ever. Like this part we're listening to now, it's so lyrical and expressive. It, oh my God. You know, those kind of songs, I've mentioned it before, uh, particularly on Hot Hits and Cold Cuts episodes, where like, it almost feels like there were meant to be lyrics for these, because the melody's so strong and would suit a vocal part like it just feels like something Paul would throw out there and I feel like this song encourages you to, to kind of sing along and hum along to it in that way I mean thank god there aren't lyrics because you know it just allows you to experience this song a whole lot more you know, purely, and you know, you just get to absorb yourself in that in the perfect melody here. Like, and then ah, oh, this little change here. Da, da, da. Oh, honestly, folks, I can't get over how much I love this track. This is one of the ones that I always pick out and I get excited for whenever I put on McCartney Two. Paul's just a master of the synths once again. Like, this is him just relaxing and kicking back, and yet he's coming out with melodies that are better than a lot of the stuff that he tries to sit down and work through. Like, like that's the genius of Paul. Like, if he's just being himself 
and not trying too hard. He just comes out with the most mellifluous, beautiful music like this. It's a shame we're not listening to the full 5 minute 43 version because that just gives you more of that genius. Oh, and before we know it, we are on to bogey music, which is the off-maligned, not unfairly so, song of this album. I, I don't know, I feel like this is kind of the, the better end of like Paul's kids' music. Like, of course, this is based on the book Fungus the Bogeyman, which Paul says is a book for kids and grown-ups too, which I don't believe is strictly true. You know, you, you don't see grown-ups reading Fungus the Bogeyman on a on the bus or anything like that. But, you know what? This is no different than something like, you know, I've Had Enough, where, like, he's just kind of kicking back with a bit of simple old-time 50s rock and roll just to have some fun. You know, this is an album that is Paul experimenting and playing very much for himself. And so, of course, he would have this kind of basic rock chuggalog thing to it. And it's really fun. I really do think so. I love the bass in this one. Come on, you can't be too critical of this song. You know, it's a bit like, say, Cook of the House, where it is what it is, and it's part of Paul's idiosyncrasies and eccentricities. And, like, if, if you can't get over this song... Maybe Paul, like, isn't the artist for you. This is just him making songs that make him happy, you know? This is maybe something for the kids as well, you know, literally for for his children. Maybe he's sung this before, you know, he put this to tape, you never know. Oh, the synth work, again, like, 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 this is him using the synths less as like a, a keyboard-like instrument and using them for the orchestra. And I think he, he does it so well. Like, like, you know, we saw it to put to great success on Back to the Egg. And now this is him kind of just going buck wild and just doing something a little more strangely, like, aggressive and upbeat compared to what he did before. I love the drum track as well. Like... Out of all of the like McCartney album stuff, this is the one where it's like, yeah, this is him actually using a drum track for once. Uh, it doesn't sound like him playing the drums at all, though he did play drums on this album. Oh, come on. <laughs> These lyrics are so fun. Bogey music. Bogey music. And like the way that it rings out, and the way you've got those loops and those effects. This is just as much a piece of classic McCartney 2 lore as any of the other tracks. Yes, it is like kind of the most obviously different, and it does kind of stick out like a sore thumb from the rest of the album. But this is just because it's a little more in your face silly than like experimentally silly or. You, 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 you know what I mean? This is kind of just a bit more obviously stupid. And because of that fact, I think everyone just gives it an unfairly harsh time, which they shouldn't. It's bogey music. Shut up. Oh, yes. This is easily one of the best tracks on the album. This is Dark Room. Uh, again, the full mix is a, a minute and a half longer and is way better, but I love how 
quick and run and gun and brief this one is. This is one of the songs that certainly leaves you wanting more. Like, oh, it's just so dark and mysterious and beguiling. This is one of the songs that really draws you in. Like, you know, we've already had some kind of seedy stuff earlier on with like temporary secretary. And now, you know, this is Paul being like, you know, come with me to the dark room. You know, this is like Paul take, taking us on a weird down the rabbit hole Alice in Wonderland like journey. I mean, he, he, he said for definite that this isn't about Linda's photography and a literal dark room. It's meant to be like him saying, come and let me take you to the Casbah or something. I believe he said, but like this, oh my god, I just love this so much. Just that beat, like the bass and the drums together. Now, this is kind of early proto Paul dance music kind of stuff. You've got it, probably one of the best examples of him just going off the rails. In, t- in, in terms of like his vocals during these sessions, like it's not quite temporary secretary, but especially on the album, like this is just him being incredibly silly and fun and inventive and playful. Oh, and then it, the beat picks up here and it does a bit of a double time. Come along with me to my dark room. I love the way it picks up here. Lights are low. Oh. Sorry, folks. This is more so than any other Listen With Sam episode. This is just me actually wanting to straight up just listen to the album. Oh, I love his little laugh here. That's so cool. Also one of the best tracks from Twin Freaks, that song there. God, we're already here on the last song of the album. One of these days. Uh, yeah. What a way to end this album. What an incredible palate cleanser this is. What a, what a wonderful note to leave us all on. Like, you know, we've had, especially on this side of the album, we've, we've just had synths and craziness and, you know, mad Professor McCartney. And, yeah, we, 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 we did have Summer's Day song to uh, break it up. But, you know, the, even that was punctuated with a lot of synths and synthetic music. And now, to end it, it's just a McCartney picker. And I think that choice to to put this last is just so genius. He'd do the same thing again many years later with like Flaming Pie to just just end this big brash album with a very definitive sound and end it with A, classic pull, but also just something very simple and earnest. And it just allows you to kind of come down from the experience and it's a nice transition back into the real world on top of that though it is just one of his most beautiful tender lyrics ever like you know, I just love the idea of like it's one of these days you know it's it it's not a specific day that 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 he's getting to he's not rushing anything he's letting life take its course it's it's a very realistic kind of song you know, one of these days I will get to the Driving Rain episode. I kind of I kind of get that vibe that Paul's going for here. I love the way he taps the guitar as well. You actually get to hear him interacting with the physical uh, instrument. Like, that's recorded. And since we've had an album of synthetic instrumentation, to hear him tap on the guitar like that is such 
It's such a strange, different sound. Like, it's funny that on an album like this, that this is the strange song, this is the outlier, the one that stands out the most, because it is just natural and real and, you know, something that he could do live. It's a shame he hasn't done it live. Like, I would have loved there to have been a, a, an, an In the World Tonight documentary made around this time, you know, to have Paul in the woods by the fire playing one of these days. How, how divine would that have been? By you, by me. Oh, this is so good. There really hasn't been a bum note on this album. Like, yeah, if you know, if it had been made into a double album and we would have got Blue Sway and Secret Friend and Check My Machine and all you horse riders, if we'd have gotten all of that, then yeah, it, it would have been, you know, a more pure <laughs> McCartney 2 experience. But I think that he did a really good job in paring down the songs he needed, you know, in trimming out the extraneous songs, you know, that, that, that were too long and really wouldn't have worked on an album like this and given us the best material possible. Like, we've had this amazing, different, very McCartney-esque, pure McCartney experience, and he ends us with, you know, what the wider world would consider to be the most obvious pure McCartney track of all. So effective. Fucking love this song. And there we are, everyone. That is the end of McCartney 2. You can stop your record players now. I'm not sure how a lot of people would have felt by this point. I know that they probably would have been a large majority of people who would have felt a lot better with a song like um, One of These Days being at the end and having Summer's Day song interjected there to kind of break up the madness. But if you were not into this synth and electronica and, you know, all the very speed vocals and stuff like that, then yeah, this probably wouldn't have been the album for you. But like I say especially with side one. If you were into pure McCartney, as it were, and accepting of all of Paul's weird musical tastes, whether it's the country hams, his love of reggae and world music and folk and rock and pop and ballads and old-timey Tin Pan Alley kind of music, then I really think that you would have vibed with this. You definitely would have found this to be as special as I think it is. I mean, these are some of the best sessions from the entire McCartney songbook. All of the extra songs, it would have been nice to have them on a double album. It's a shame they didn't do that with the McCartney 2 archive set like they did with the Red Rose Speedway one. But hey, at least we still got all the songs on vinyl. But yeah, folks, this has been an absolutely incredible experience for me. I absolutely adore this album. I listen to it a lot more frequently than I do a lot of the other albums, even the ones that I like. Like, I'd probably listen to this more than, say, Ram, because I can just pop this on and I just get to chill out and vibe and feel like I'm back at university again, smoking stuff that I shouldn't be smoking. It's very much McCartney comfort food to me, and it instantly takes my mind back to a very pleasant, very happy time. It's also an album that... A lot of my friends like, in terms of like, at least compared to other McCartney projects, like this is far more palatable to them. And that's because it's incredibly modern. It still feels very up to date. Like this is an Abbey Road 
of McCartney's like 70s run. You know, it's recorded in 79. And at the end of each decade, Paul seems to make very modern albums that still feel very modern no matter what point in the future you listen to them. And this is one of them. There's very little fat. It's full of creativity and classic melodies. It, 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 it's a near perfect album. It's a 9.5, a borderline 10 out of 10 for me. It's so fucking good. And there we are. I hope you enjoyed another episode of Listen With Sam. This time we'll be listening to McCartney 2. Remember to email into the show or hit me up on Twitter and let me know what your thoughts on McCartney 2 are. I'll be very interested indeed. Just before I go, folks, I do have a little confession to make. Almost every episode of Listen With Sam that I've done prior to this has been somewhat of a byproduct of my fear of my own stutter and rambling tendencies and they've largely been scripted they largely have the bullet points that start out as just bullet points quickly end up becoming paragraphs and full pages to the point whereby half the stuff i write for each listen with sound episode actually doesn't even make it into the episode and so there's a, a lot of wasted time actually especially in terms of how long this kind of episode should take you know these are the episodes that are almost filler you know they are there to allow me to work on other more important projects i've got lots of interviews coming up in the next few weeks i'm really excited to do that but this week i actually pulled up my trousers i turned and faced the music and i braved just doing this one completely off the cuff so i'd be very very appreciative if you could all let me know what you thought of this episode specifically when compared to normal episodes of listen with sam and even normal episodes of paul or nothing was it obvious that i was doing this one off the cuff was it any lower in quality i'd be very appreciative of any and all feedback but yeah thank you for listening to another episode folks i've been your host sam i just want to say peace and love peace and love harry harry krishna no more autographs play us out Demi.